Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. to Star Trek from the Holodeck. This is the Lower Decks edition. We are back. We are now a part of the Lower Decks crew. We're on cleanup duty. We're cleaning out the jizz stains out of the Holodeck like Uh. Boimler. (laughs) That's horrible. Well, listen, if episode two is any proof. I mean, people be fucking in there and doing some crazy <laughs> shit. That, well, that's what makes it even worse. I mean, that stuff he was cleaning up, I'm like, who the hell is spraying that everywhere? <laughs> Give me a sec. I got to fix your camera. All right. Because unfortunately, we had a giant <laughs> earlier in the seat. A real professional in the studio. Sorry, you yes. two people. You oh, just yeah. witnessed... Uh, Camera placement. A little behind the scenes. Behind the scenes in the studio. Yeah. All right. So there's a lot going on in Lower Decks territory. A lot of frenetic energy. That's what this show is known for, right? Mm -hmm. All right. So we're going to be discussing, obviously, the inaugural episodes. We are breaking them down and breaking them up. So we're not going to discuss episode one and two all in one discussion, even though they were released at the same time. So for this specific discussion, we will be focusing our attention on the very first episode of season four titled Tuvix. Uh, The episode is directed by Barry J. Kelly and Jason Zurich. This episode was just so hardcore. They needed two directors to handle (laughs) apparently the directing duties. The episode itself was written by the showrunner himself, Mike McMahon. The synapsis, the Cerritos ensigns must assist a caretaker on the voyage of a historically significant starship. This new season of Lower Decks didn't hold back. It jumped immediately into the realm of self-referential indulgence by parodying various aspects of Star Trek Voyager. Yes, Dave, I expected as much because there was an interview with the show's showrunner, Mike McMahon, I want to say a few weeks back where he said he was aware that they've been neglecting certain shows like Voyager and Enterprise as it pertains to referencing. Yeah. And he was going to remedy that with the new season. (laughs) And he certainly did. Yes, he did. He certainly did. The setup being that a caretaker is essentially turning Voyager into a museum. Now, for this to make sense of, of uh, in terms of in-universe chronology, we can take a look at a few dates because the events of Lower Decks and the ending of Voyager almost perfectly align. Star Trek Lower Decks takes place between the year Years 2380 and 2381 so far. Star Trek Voyager's return home happened around 2378. 
Yeah, just like two years earlier. Yeah, so it definitely works when it comes to in-universe canon and chronology. Now, David, briefly, how did you feel about the return of Lower Decks? You know what? I was really happy because, just like you said, the, the energy of Lower Decks was back. Yeah. And I, I thought, okay, this is going to be a... This was actually a stronger opening than some of their past season openers. Remember, like, a couple of those season openers we've had in a couple of their seasons, we we said, oh, they're starting off very slow. They're, you know, trying to find their footing. Mm-hmm. Here, they went right for it. They went for the jugular when it came to their writing style. So it felt like nothing has changed energy-wise and pacing-wise when it comes to delving out their story for an episode. I I like the fact that basically they decided to bring in, you know, like Voyager references because, you know, like, unfortunately, yeah, Voyager in this day and age, a lot of people used to say, oh, Deep Space Nine, uh, Deep Space Nine was actually being treated as the redhead stepchild. But Voyager and Enterprise, for some strange reason, the last probably four years is now treated as the redheaded stepchild no, of, you- of the entire franchise. You're right. D space nine over the last 20 some years has found itself. Yeah. Like there are audience, new audiences and also former, you know, long standing star Trek fans that really snubbed D space nine when it originally was airing. And now retrospectively, they've gone back and said, okay, you know what? This actually isn't that bad. This is pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. But Voyager and enterprise still have not reached that. Oh, especially enterprise enterprise gets so much shit. And it's like, even for me, because remember when we first started the show, I did not like enterprise. <laughs> yeah, and, and Listen, David, without anyone, please trying to seek me out and murder me. Voyager, in a lot of ways, is actually stronger, wait for it, than a lot of the earlier runs, the earlier seasons of The Next Generation. Yes. I, I 100% agree with and you. That's not me saying I don't love TNG. Everyone mm-hmm. should know by now that I fucking adore TNG. But just in the light of fairness, comparatively speaking, Voyager went there. They yeah. went into original, unique, and just like this episode said, what was it? Freaky, freaky, bizarre things that they made work. The original series did that. They did some strange things as well. But in a lot of ways, that was just the, the times, the 1960s. Yes. It was the pulpy style. Voyager went into some, into some weird areas and used philosophical aspects mm-hmm. to flesh out character development. The idea of doppelgangers was used a lot in Voyager to the point to where it felt nihilistic at times, mm-hmm. you know, so Voyager has never been judged fairly. Yeah. So I'm all about some Voyager references. I think it, I think Voyager deserves that, right? Oh, absolutely. Because especially like when you take into context what Lower Decks was trying to harken back on. One of the one of the more interesting episodes, in my opinion, of Voyager is the one where Neelix and Tuvok get merged together. Oh, such a disturbing and sad episode. It's so disturbing because it ta- it taps into a lot of things about Star Trek that are kind of taboo. Number one, murder. transporter. <laughs> but, well, number one, yeah, murder. But number two, transporter. 
what the transporter can do to a person. Mm-hmm. The number one fear. Yes, it's ridiculous how Bones basically says, I will never step into a freaking transporter. It messes up your molecules. Well, in this episode, it's proven true. It can mess up your molecules. <laughs> this has been a point of phobic nuance yeah. in Star Trek for decades. The idea of the transporter. And even though Bones was... You know, it was a little superficial statement because yeah. it was for fun. And of course you had that moment in the motion picture that they wanted to sell. Oh my but God. Yeah. They have always Star Trek as a whole, even during the run of the original series. And we've talked about this book now numerous times, the book titled Spock must die. Spock must die. Yeah. Delves into these phobic ideas pertaining to the transporter and what it can and can't do, or even better question what it should and shouldn't do. Yes. And whether or not these people, when they go from one side to another, they're being dematerialized and then rematerialized. Are they even the same person? Yeah. These are some really heavy philosophical ideas to delve into, and they have always masked it with an air of a phobia, you know, a fear well, as well. Well, also in TNG, when they touched on it, it's more done like almost comedic value too, because like those were the those were the episodes that were famous for uh, our favorite uh, favorite side character in TNG, Barkley. Usually, those were done in jest, and you know, like mishaps it was the mishap episode of the week voyager something about that writing staff in voyager decided to take while everyone in star trek tried to put a light tone to it no voyager decided no we're gonna we're going to embrace the darker nature of this theme you know what what it was i found the word for it or words uh, phrase body horror yeah they delved into the areas of body horror and how it pertains to transporters, not just transporters, but numerous things. That planet where they landed their ship and oh, they yeah. essentially replicated themselves. And then they, the, they base, the, the replicants were devolving. They were like silver people. Remember, yes. they were made of like a metallic substance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Voyager was very bizarre. And that's why when they said that in this episode, you know, freaky moments. Freaky moments. I was like, yeah. That's a good way to define various aspects of Star Trek Voyager. So in this episode, we were given some very funny moments where they very quickly and succinctly touched on those various freaky moments in Voyager. The title of season four of the season four premiere itself, along with the subplot where members of the Cerritos crew merge into hybrid personas such as Tiana and Billups forming Tulips. (laughs) serves as, I guess you could say like a nostalgic reference to the contentious Star Trek Voyager episode. And I say contentious because it's very controversial. Um, Title Tuvix, as we'd mentioned. Yes. In this narrative, the uh, Neelix, the Talaxian morale officer, if people are not familiar with Voyager. I want to be a morale officer. You would be a good morale officer. (laughs) Not a good moral officer. Yeah. But a morale officer, yes. Sex for everybody. Yeah. See, that's why you wouldn't be a good moral officer. (laughs) But morale-wise, hey, a little bit of sex helps everyone. Exactly. So you had the Talaxian morale officer, Neelix, and then the Vulcan security chief, Tuvok. They underwent this fusion during a transporter accident that results in the creation of a character named Tuvix. In due course, 
a method is discovered to return Neelix and Tuvox to their distinct physical and mental states. However, prior to this resolution, Tuvix contends that he has evolved into a complete and unique individual, yes. asserting that restoring Tuvok and Neelix amounts to extinguishing his existence through a form of murder. Yes. And think about it. That is one of the th- cool things in Voyager that I've always found is Janeway was the perfect captain to deal with these scenarios. Didn't they say that in this episode that she doesn't mess around? She doesn't mess or around. she's hardcore or something to that effect. Yeah. In the, in the episode, right. they're right. Because Janeway doesn't look, Janeway's not your normal captain. She doesn't look at the the crew as like officers and a military thing. She looks at them as they're her family. Well, she became more of a matriarch just because the nature of the setting of the show and being isolated as they were. And when you think about it, a matriarch, a mother, uh, a mother type of character would actually make the decisions that Janeway or did. Or leadership that. by a woman. Yeah. But like that in itself is what made that episode interesting because I remember so many people were like, so many Star Trek fans were hated Janeway because she basically took the moral dilemma and took the hard, took the hard decision, kill Tuvix or kill, uh, kill, uh, yeah, kill Tuvix essentially because she needed to save Neelix and Tuvok. Those were two, those were more important to her than Tuvix, which brought up such a moral dilemma as, uh, with Star Trek fans at the time because of like saying no Star Trek captain worth their salt would make that decision like that. Yeah, but that's why it's a, it's posed. A lot of the best Star Trek episodes are designed as questions. Yeah. You know, they leave it open-ended for the fans to debate. Was this the right decision? Was it the wrong decision? Because where do you go in a situation like that? Do you allow two members of your crew to just cease to exist? Cease to exist, yeah. Even though you have the means to bring them back into existence and to live? Or do you take an accident that never should have been and allow them to perish? I don't think there really is a right or wrong answer. That's the thing about morality in, in, in the philosophical context. Yes. And that's what made Voyager really cool when it hit on all cylinders like that. Cause if you look at all the episodes that where Voyager or like the, the, the whole story of the Voyager crew made the audience question their own morals that's when Voyager really hit it out of the cylinders. The Tuvex episode, the Neelix episode where he has that existential crisis of death. <laughs> Which they didn't, oh they my didn't God. use that episode as a reference. There was a it's lot. so hard to use it. How do you do that, Mike? <laughs> how, do you, how do you basically say, yeah, there's no afterlife. Or per- reanimate dead people re-animate that had died people. from like a nuclear holocaust. Exactly. Dude, Voyager did some twisted shit, dude. They did some messed up questionable things. But when you look at the dilemma, Janeway made the right call every single time. It was the hard call to make. Well, that's the interesting part about her character. That's why I said a couple of years ago during some discussion, I said that she is never really put in the running for the best captains. Now, it's natural to put her in the list of captains. Well, these are the five or however many captains we have. But it, everyone always goes to Picard. 
Oh yeah. Picard's the best. It used to be Captain Kirk. It slowly has morphed into being um, Picard. But very few people say Janeway is mm-hmm. the best captain. And I'm not one to rate captains because I think each captain is distinctly, is very distinct in the way they were executed yeah. in television and movies. I don't think there's a single captain that you can point to and say they're similar. So it's kind of hard to rate individuals who are all extremely different. However, if we had to, Janeway is in the top running. Oh, easily. Because the thing I always tell people nowadays, especially when they ask me who's my favorite ca- captain, I preface it as Burnham. I, I basically tell people who's the captain I want to be le- following. That's who I, that's why I'm choosing. Janeway is actually my number one. Cisco's actually number two. Well, Jerry Ryan seven is now a captain. So oh, I, Jen- might, I might want to follow her. Well, you know, closely the problem. You the, know what I mean? Yeah. Wink, wink. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, we don't know what Jerry Ryan's going to do for her crew. I mean, you know, we got to see <laughs> if I was an Admiral Starfleet at the end of Picard season three, I'd be like, all right, uh, seven, you're a captain now. And just uh, for nostalgia and shits and giggles and my own uh, sick <laughs> depravity, I want you to go to wear the old uniform you used to wear. Here you go. It's now please, uh, <laughs> please. It's now regulation. It's now regulation. <laughs> That'd be so messed up. And all yeah. I was like, wait, why doesn't all the other captains wear this? No, 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 no. It's okay. It's all right. Here, it's Ima- a- yeah. Imagine uh, Captain Lorca wearing regulation. <laughs> Here you go. Put this on. Put this on. But like he would go to the mirror universe immediately. Exactly. <laughs> He'd go back. But that's He'd abandon all plans. He's like, what did I do? That's why, that's why I, that's why when they mentioned Janeway being a hard ass, I was like, yeah, you're right. She was, but she'd be the captain that I would want yeah. because, Hey, at least Janeway's going to basically choose my, my well-being over everything else. That's true. All right. So let's briefly go through the list of references because that's really what this episode was more or less about. It, it was, was, it was all references so the two Vix versus two Vix we've already gone into. There's the Michael Sullivan aspect, which is the holographic <laughs> character that kept telling Mariner that he loves her. Yes. This character in Voyager was basically, and this isn't a joke. He was basically Janeway's sex toy. Yes. I mean, he's I the mean, one. If vibrators and dildos were a thing, in the future in Star Trek. <laughs> this is the embodiment, the manifestation, yeah. because there's a moment where she literally creates yes. her object of love. And it's not object of lust. There you go. That's a better way of putting it. She fell for this character's appearance at first. She said she found him attractive. So much so that she then decided to start tweaking the program. I believe she made him taller. She gave him uh, different hair. She gave him, I believe, some stubble. Yes. Because remember, she she, at one point, she said, computer, make make him taller. And he was also (laughs) married, I believe. And she even, she said, computer, make him not married. Yes. So she shaped this person to be the perfect person that she would in fact have sex with. No, explain. That's what he became. And he became a part of her story for, for a while. Oh, yeah. In the show. And when I say for a while, I think there was like a handful of episodes. But it was always a point of 
as a kid watching this with my mom is a little uncomfortable because I know what they were doing and what they were implying. Oh yeah. But, but this, if you're going to pick a moment in Voyager to parody, this is the one. Oh, this absolutely. is a thing. That's why, that's why I always joke around with a lot of people and say, all right, why is it okay for Janeway to do this? But you know, Jordy does this and he gets shit all the time. Well, you fell in love with a hologram. <laughs> Jordy was a little creepy about it. It was a little creepy. Janeway, Come on. Creepy. What about like looking at, a, at the hologram? Stop I can sing. Stop. Make it. him an inch taller. Oh my God. Janeway <laughs> is a woman that was isolated. <laughs> she had no sexual outlet. She tried, you know, with, Chakotay early on, there seemed to be some, some sexual tension there. That faded once she got tired of him saying Akuchi Moye continually. <laughs> <Every Akuchi. laughs> come, come with me to the Akuchi Moye. <laughs> All right. So the next reference is the macro virus, the, the exceptionally gross macro virus yes. that causes the lower decks heroes so much trouble hails from the Star Trek Voyager season three episode, Macroism. The doctor unintentionally brings the virus aboard the ship. Janeway proves to be the ship's only hope. The captain and Neelix are away on a diplomatic mission when the virus hits and the rest of the crew. Uh, Neelix gets infected upon their return, but with the doctor's help, Janeway manages to wipe out most of it. Yes. With an anti-antigen bomb, right? Yes. That's what it was. All right. The next bit is the Neelix cheese. The same cheese Rutherford disgusting. uses, yes, uses to stop the chaos and Voyager is from the Star Trek Voyager season one episode, Learning Curve. After the ship's bio neural gel packs begin failing, we eventually learn the fault is with Neelix's cooking. Cooking, yeah. And it was Neelix's cheese. <laughs> the clown. This was my favorite that they brought this in. This was always a very creepy and unsettling episode. In oh, Voyager. To the very end. So Star Trek, Star Trek Voyager's second season delivers perhaps the closest the franchise could ever get to replicating Stephen King's It. Yes. The crew finds a world upon which the sole survivors have plugged themselves into a computer program designed to keep their minds occupied while their planet heals. Very disturbing. And that one, that one, that episode in itself is like probably my top one of my top two favorite because like it is the one Star Trek episode in all of the franchise where the villain, you feel sorry for the villain in the very end. And the captain looks menacing like that moment. There's a very famous moment when Janeway and the clown are talking and the clown basically says, what's going to happen to me? And Janeway basically says, nothing. You're just going to disappear. And he says, I'm scared. And then the last, last phrase in the entire episode is Janeway looking at him and saying, I know. And they fade to black. And it's like one of the, it's, it's one of those things that gave me chills when I was, when I first watched it and I rewatched it a couple of years later and it still holds up. Yeah. It's good. Also, it has very strong philosophical underpinnings connected to Cartesian thought. Because yeah. you're dealing with this idea of a reality that doesn't exist. Do you mm -hmm. choose to remain in this reality even when you know it's not real? Uh, Harry's clarinet <laughs> was another reference. Jails. 
<laughs> they also brought back the lizards. Star Trek's. <laughs> this is such a fucking weird episode, dude. That's why Voyager's so awesome. Star Trek Voyager's Threshold is one of the most infamous episodes in the franchise. Tom Paris succeeds in breaking the warp 10 speed barrier, but as a result, he begins evolving into a reptile. Toward the end of the episode, he breaks the barrier again with Janeway in tow, and they essentially both de-evolve yes. into this primordial state of evolution, and they mate mm -hmm. and have lizard babies. And remember, the funniest thing in that episode was actually um, Paris turning to Janeway saying that, oh, it's weird. We have children now. And what does it feel like to give birth to a different species? And then Janeway turns to him and says, how do you know that basically I wasn't the, I was the one birthing the children. Yeah. And I was like, that is Janeway basically saying you're my bitch. Tom. She also said, didn't she allude to the fact that she was the one that possibly instigated yes. it? Yeah. 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 That's my girl. <laughs> that's my girl. <laughs> that's my girl. <laughs> Dr. Uh, Chaotica, which was always a fun character. Yes. Star Trek Voyager loved to dabble within the holodeck. They had numerous holodeck gone wrong episodes similar to Star Trek The Next Generation. One of the most beloved episodes takes place in season five in the episode titled Bride of Chaotica. In the episode, which is mostly black and white. That's why one of the big reasons why I love it. Yeah. The heroes are forced to deal with Dr. Kayatica, the villain of Tom Paris's Captain Prodon holodeck program. Not only is it just a cool way to have fun, you know, those those seemingly simple episodes that they do mm -hmm. when you have 27 episodes to tell your story, you can have episodes like this. It's, it's built off the uh the mythos of Flash Gordon, essentially. Yeah. It's very pulpy in its origins. Mm -hmm. And that's what made it really cool. Yeah. The Borg Nanites, of course, that's pretty much well known at this point. Those were the top references. All right. So overall, David, the most interesting part of the episode is the cliffhanger. <laughs> it feels more appropriately unique to Lower Decks and is in itself a part of the narrative that seemingly relies on the writer's own unique inclusions to the Star Trek universe. And for all those that listen to this show, know by now, that's really what I'm about. I'm less about Easter eggs. I'm, le I'm less about nostalgia. I'm less about references and more about what are you going to do? Yeah. What are you offering unique, original that we've never seen? And it does seem to be more or less a narrative strand that will possibly be this season's so-called myth arc. Yes. For the last several seasons or the last three seasons, it's been the Packlets. That storyline has come to an end. So it does seem like they're introducing something else something because it, that aspect where you see this vessel of unknown origins destroy a Klingon bird of prey, I believe is what it was. Yeah. And that's how the episode ends. And then the next episode starts. I also like the promotions from ensigns to lieutenants, uh, junior grade lieutenants, right? Yeah. That was one of the things I really liked because it felt like these characters are continuing to grow, you know? And that was one of the things that I was like kind of curious about, like what they would do with a new season of 
lower decks? Are they going to actually take a step up? Are the, you know, no, there'll always be the lower decks crew, but it's nice to see some progression in their development. I agree. That to me was something I didn't expect, but I'm glad that there is some upward mobility for our lower decks crew because you keep hearing their lower decks, but they keep saving the day. Yeah. So it's nice to see that type of progression for our characters. And we'll get into that a bit more during our discussion for episode two. My overall thoughts, pretty much in a nutshell, I felt like this episode was not the strongest of episodes. It relied heavily on just nostalgic Star Trek references. Yeah. And as I said a few moments ago, that's just not my thing. I like what I like things that are unique. What else are you going to do? What else are you going to bring to the table besides playing within, you know, the derivative space? derivative spaces that we've seen time and time again. I understand that lower decks, that's what they do, but it doesn't only need to be that. And in fact, the first season I still think is the strongest season because they had their fair bits of reference slash Easter eggs, but there was a lot of originality there. It feels like moving into season three and now season four, they're falling into a very familiar pattern. And I'm hoping that's not what the show is always going to be is simply references because a show that's built simply on references where you're referencing not only the past, but also the immediate past, Mm -hmm. like Strange New Worlds and Picard season three, the show's going to become kind of stale. Unfortunately, you know, if they don't continue to branch out and be something different, you know, be their own show as well. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to give this episode a 78%. Go ahead, Dave. I'm I'm a little bit more forgiving with this episode because I'm happy that they didn't seem to stall like they usually do in their beginnings of their seasons that, especially like last season where it was like, okay, where are you going with this? And I, I agree a hundred percent with you that basically they have to do something different. I like all the references too. I, I even got more giddy about this episode just because you're touching on one of my favorite uh, Star Trek series, which is Voyager. And they get a lot of the cool references. There was, there was some good jokes that landed and then some jokes that didn't quite land. And in my opinion, that is like what a lower decks episode is, is kind of like a really quick. And that's the thing that I actually found really interesting. You get to the cliffhanger and I'm like going, man, that was a really fast episode. Like it ended really quickly. But I looked at it, I'm like, oh, but the time pretty went the, as, as, uh, as long as you'd expect. So overall, I think it's one of their better openings. I'm interested where they're going with it. Uh, my score is an 83. I gave it an 83 because about 60% of their jokes landed. And the only thing that really saved the episode for me were the references. And I'm with, I'm like you, when I look back at it, is that what we want out of Lower Decks? No, we like the character development of all these characters. We're getting really attached to these characters and we want to see them move forward and get, get older and do something different. So I'm excited for the season. I like where it kicked off, but they got to really pick up the pace now. Okay. All right. That brings us to the end. We'll be back shortly with a discussion on episode two. 
Thank you, David. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain? It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.